Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Vista. It is wonderful to see you here today. We haven't met before. My name's Austin. I get to serve here as one of our lead pastors, and we are so glad that you joined us this morning. This morning, we are in the, uh, we're in the home stretch of our series called Us For Them, a, a series that has kind of been like a... Um, Kind of like a trip to the dentist. You know what I mean by that? I, I know we've got some dentists, maybe one here in the front row this morning. We've got some dentists and dental hygienists in our church. And I, I don't think I'm going to hurt any of their feelings when I say, on behalf of all of us, that none of us love going to see you. And it's not you, you know, it's not you. You're great. It's just that what you do to us is, is rather unpleasant. I mean, have you ever thought about this? I mean, we go and we pay money. We pay money for people to stick their hands in our mouth. You know where those hands have been? I know where those hands have been. I don't care if they're clean. I know where those hands have been. Talk to you from a very uncomfortably close distance. Ask you questions that you can't answer because their hands are in your mouth. You know how your kids are. Poke your gums with needles until they bleed and then have the audacity to tell us that we should floss more. And we know we should floss more, but ain't nobody going to floss after every single meal. Can I get an amen? None of us have time to floss after every single meal. And yet we keep coming back to you. Why? Well, because we know that if we don't make a habit of going to the dentist, our breath's going to stink. And you don't want your breath to stink, right? In the same way, I know this series has been a little bit painful because we've been, we've been probing around on some sensitive issues. Issues like our self-righteousness, our infatuation with a blame game, right? It's always all their fault, uh, the understandable, but utterly immature and unbiblical delight we take in having certain enemies. We love having certain enemies. And yet, while it's been painful, it's also been really, really necessary because if we don't make a habit of letting the Spirit of God probe around on our antagonistic, hostile hearts, then, well, our breath's going to stink, right? And it's going to stink with the antagonism of us versus them. And I hope as a result of this series, you can start to smell the us versus them antagonism on people's breath. Have you started to notice it? Like you'll be, you'll be listening to cable news or talk radio or you're talking to a family member and you're like, my goodness, every single thing out of your mouth is us versus them. Your breath stinks. You need a tic-tac. It's too antagonistic, man. I hope that you can start to smell that on people's breath. And so what we're going to do today is take everything we've learned so far, everything we've learned about conflict, anger, antagonism, you name it, and we're going to try to apply it out there. Okay, we're going to take this attitude, this posture of us for them and talk about how it translates into the world, into the places we live, work, and play. And before we turn to Scripture, though, I want us to get a little bit of a feel for the lay of the land, as it were, in modern American culture. Let's get a feel for how exactly the world thinks about you and thinks about me. Sound okay? So... Back in, when was it? 1996, about 25 years ago. Research showed that non-Christians had an overwhelmingly positive perspective of Christians. In fact, only 15% of non-Christians had a negative view of Christians. Pretty remarkable, right? Overwhelming majority of non-Christians were like, Christians, they're, they're good. Like, I disagree with them about some stuff, but they're good. They're cool people. I, I, I'm with Christians. But over the last 25 years, something has happened. Or to be more accurate, some things have happened. And now, 47% of non-Christians now have a negative view of Christians. About half of non-Christians now 
have a negative view of Christians. And let's take a moment and just, I don't know, mourn this? Because it's pretty sad, right? In the blink of a generation, y'all, 25 years, that's how old some of y'all are. In the blink of a generation, 25 years, the world that Jesus loves and died for has come to really, really not like Jesus' people. Okay, that's what those numbers tell us. And so why has that happened? Well, there's a sense in which that's an impossible question to answer, but one of the best answers I have come across was in a study done by the Barna Group a few years back. They're a great Christian research group. And uh, rather than any single specific issue, what the study found was that non-Christians have moved towards a more negative view of Christians because they feel like Christians have just become really, really negative. Okay, specifically, here's how the study puts it. It's clear that Christians are primarily perceived for what they stand against. We have become famous for what we oppose rather than who we are for. We are known for having an us versus them mentality. Now, in fairness to uh, you know those of us who are Christians in the room, probably most of us, uh, some of our little negative run of PR here is due to some shifts in culture that have happened over the last 25 years that are perhaps not so healthy. You know, like simply put, as culture at large has moved in a more permissive, deregulated, laissez-faire, do it if it feels right, it doesn't bother or hurt anybody, morality, it is inevitable that all religious people, not just Christians, all religious people with firmer forms of moral convictions are going to start to look like the morality police, right? As culture moves that way, it's just inevitable that all religious people, basically except Buddhists, I don't know why, but everybody loves Buddhists, Buddhists get away with it. Um, And so that just is what it is. And it's just kind of a part of the times that we're in right now. But as a general rule, a general rule that Dave and I have mentioned every single week of this series, we should not make a habit of blaming others. Amen? We don't make a habit of blaming others. That's not what Christians do in our household. So while there are some ways in which our negative run of PR is due to the world's current moral confusion, right, there is some truth to that, I think it would be very unwise and unbiblical to just pat ourselves on the back like we've just done everything so perfectly and place all that blame on the world, right? Like, do you really think that's what Jesus would do? Come on now, you know that's not what Jesus would do. I think it's clear that what Jesus would have us do instead of patting ourselves on the back is to look ourselves in the mirror and to ask how we have contributed to this very negative perspective non-Christians now have of us. So if you got your Bibles... Turn to 1 Peter 3. We're going to read uh, verses 8 through 17. All right, it'll be on the screen for you. 1 Peter 3. It's towards the end of your New Testament there. 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 17. Remember the question we're kind of probing this morning is, what has happened? You know, why have non-Christians you know, gained this really negative view of Christians? Here's what the writer says. He says, to sum it up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. 
<clears throat> for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. But who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're still blessed. And don't fear their intimidation. Don't be troubled. But rather sanctify Christ, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it's better, if God should will it so, that you should suffer for doing what is right than for doing what is wrong. 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 17. So 1 Peter, it's a little bit unique in the sense that instead of a specific letter written to a specific church, it's a more general letter that was written to a number of churches in ancient Asia Minor, probably towards the end of the first century. And as we can tell from the letter itself, right, the churches that this letter was written to were experiencing severe persecution. How do we know that? Well, because the letter is filled with advice on how to handle persecution, right? What to do when people come at you, insult you, disrespect you, provoke you. And have any of you ever had somebody who, for whatever reason, was just against you? I'm assuming maybe they're, maybe they're sitting beside you right now. Maybe you sleep beside them. It happens. And so what happens to you when somebody's against you, right? What does it do to you? Well, it makes you, makes you angry, makes you insecure, makes you defensive, makes you offensive. Growing up, I had this, this kid who was just like my rival, okay? He played basketball at a rival school, and it was just known that we really, really did not like each other. Like, if he was hanging off a bridge by one hand. I don't know what happened. He, he was playing on a bridge, and he slipped and he fell. And he was hanging from a bridge with one hand. And I walked by, and I was the only person who could save him. Mm. I'm just kidding. Y'all, I'm not that sick. I would help him. I wouldn't let him fall. I wouldn't let him fall. But I would let him think I was going to let him fall. You know what I mean? I would wait till he had one finger hanging on, and he was crying for mom, and then I would film it, upload it to the Internet, and then I would help him up off the bridge, Right? And we've all been there. Maybe you're not that twisted, but you, you've been there. And uh, in some sense, we know what it's like to be unliked, to be targeted, to be provoked. And so you know that when somebody comes at you, when you are provoked, when you're insulted, you tend to respond in one of two ways, right? This is the primal human animal reaction. We fight or we flight. Now, show of hands, how many of you in the room this morning, how many of you are fighters? How many fighters do we have in the room this morning, yes, I see all the guys. Oh, yeah, guys are all fighters. I understand. I'm a fighter myself. When people come at me, could be physically, could be emotionally, verbally, doesn't matter. When people come at me, my first instinct is to just pass out karate chops. You know what I mean? I pass out the karate chops. I clean up the mess later. That's just the way my brain works. If you come at me, you're going to get a karate chop to the throat. Now, show of hands, how many of you in here are, uh, how many fighters do we have in the room this morning? Okay, I see. Most of you didn't raise your hands. We know what you are, flighters. Um, my, I can't even, my wife is a flighter. My wife is a flighter. Uh, just this week, uh, I, was, I was giving the boys this pep talk you know, for Halloween. I was like, hey, if somebody, I don't know why, if somebody tries to take you, they would bring you back quick, but if, if somebody tries to take you, okay, you yell at the top of your lungs, and then, buddy, you pass out karate chops like hotcakes. No questions asked. Everybody gets a karate chop. He tries to take you. My wife is watching this whole thing. She's like, I guess it's great that you're teaching them this, but when I was a kid, if someone tried to take me, I literally would have just died. I would have just laid down and died. And I said, boys, 
do not listen to your mother right now. All the rest of the time, listen to your mother. But if somebody takes you, you pass out karate chops like hotcakes. But you get the point. When we face hostility, antagonism, animosity, our natural reactions are to karate chop or play possum or to run over somebody or to lay down and get run over. And we justify it in all different ways. If you're a fighter, how do you justify your karate chops? They had it coming. They started it. But I'm going to finish it. If you're a fighter, how do you justify it? Well, there's just nothing I could really do anyways. It was going to happen. What's going to happen is going to happen. And so now what I want to do is take our natural responses to conflict and scrutinize them in light of what we just read in 1 Peter 3. Okay, let's read verses 8 and 9 again. So just to sum it up, all of you, how many of us are included in all of you? I think that would be, yep. Not you if you feel like it. Not you when you feel like it. Not you if it's a good day. No. All of you be harmonious. Sympathetic. I love this word. It's the Greek word sympathies. It literally means an ability to put yourself in another's place. Now, can, you, can you imagine how much of a difference that would make? You're locked into combat with somebody, you know? And you go, man, I wonder what it's like if, if I was over here, if I was sitting in this chair. Sympathetic. Brotherly kind-hearted and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. And we could just, you know, pause right here, pray, and dismiss. Because can you imagine how different a place the world would be if we just, we just did what the Bible says here? And what I love about what the Bible says here is that it's both gentle, but it's also really firm. Did you pick up on that? It's gentle and firm. The writer says, hey, I need you to be gentle, gentle and sympathetic but when you're wronged, I also need you to retaliate. Did you pick up on that? You, you don't just lie down. I need you to retaliate. But instead of retaliating with anger, I want you to retaliate with the full force of God's indestructible kindness. You do not return evil for evil or insult for insult, but you give a blessing. Instead, you retaliate with a blessing. How good is that? Let's move on now. Verses 14 and 15. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're still blessed. And don't fear their intimidation and don't be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And again, we could pause right here, pray, dismiss, and just be done with it. Because can you imagine how differently the world would view you and me, if we just did what the Bible says here? If we were fearless and firm instead of fearful and antagonistic, if we were gentle and reverent instead of harsh and condescending, and I'll just, I'll just level with you and state what I, I hope is pretty obvious at this point, okay? One of the reasons we're known for having an us versus them mentality is because we have an us versus them mentality, right? The world's not just making it up. No, we do. We have an us versus them mentality. And I got to tell you, uh, over the years, I've heard Christians, right? And sadly enough, a lot of Christian leaders, like maybe people whose books you read and podcasts you listen to, speak about non-Christians in the most profoundly derogatory condescending and spiteful ways. It's embarrassing. And we find all sorts of ways to justify it, you know? 
and tell ourselves, well, they had it coming, they started it, they're sinful, they're stubborn, they're ruining the world. And I get it. I really do get it. And when I am tempted, and it is frequent, you know, to think or act spitefully towards the world, though, this really annoying question always pops into my head, okay? And you know this question. Isn't it the worst question ever? It's the worst question ever because you always know what the answer is, and it's not the one you wanted, right? Like, man, I am, when I feel provoked <clears throat> or attacked, you know, I start handing out the karate chops to everybody. Everybody's getting a karate chop. And then the Holy Spirit will come to me and say, Austin, hold on, karate kid. You know, like, hands down, hands down. Do you think this is, you think this is what JC would be doing right now, man? Do you think Jesus would be handing out karate chops to everybody? And you think that would get through to me. You'd probably get through to you, but I am a remarkably stubborn person. And so sometimes I'm like, I don't know, maybe Jesus would, Holy Spirit. You didn't see that coming, did you? Maybe he would pass out the karate chops. I mean, there was that time he caused a ruckus in the temple, and he doesn't know what I've been through. I mean, people have said mean things to me on the Internet. Jesus doesn't understand the trouble I've seen. And while the Holy Spirit is, is very gentle, um, the Holy Spirit is also relentless. At least it is in my life. So it'll go, yeah, Austin, I know your life is hard, man. I know it's hard. These people are mean on the internet. But there was that time. There was that time Jesus was um, literally being murdered. Literally. And he looked down at the people who were literally murdering him. And he said, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. Can you imagine being one of those Roman centurions in that moment? You've beat this man. You've humiliated this man. You have hammered nails into his body. And then with complete and fearless sincerity, he looks you dead in your eyes. And he says, buddy, I forgive you because you don't know what you're doing right now. I like to think that's the moment that Mark describes in his gospel when he says one of the Roman centurions looks up at Jesus and he says, truly this man was God's son. <laughs> Ain't nobody else saying that. This must have been the son of God. Because a lot of people hated Jesus, right? That's kind of why he died. A lot of people hated Jesus. Jesus didn't hate anybody. Nobody. Reminds me of something I think Jen Hatmaker said one time. I'll give her credit. She said, people may hate you because of Jesus, but nobody should hate Jesus because of you. Mm. And that brings us back to this us versus them mentality that we have become increasingly known for in the last 25 years, due in large part to the fact that we have, in fact, become increasingly antagonistic towards the world. And I've thought a lot lately about why that is, you know? Why have we become so much chippier, more defensive? Why is that? And on our end, <clears throat> I think the most honest explanation is entitlement. Entitlement. We, we, we think we're losing something that we think we're entitled to, okay? Let's spell this out a little bit. I think many of us sense on this gut level that we are losing our grip on things, okay? We sense our country, let's say, sliding in a more secular and either non or anti-religious <clears throat> direction, and understandably, that bothers us, right? It makes us feel defensive and, and, and fearful, and so to just be honest about this, y'all, we, we are losing our grip on things, like if you're a Christian, yeah, like we are losing our grip on this country. That's absolutely 100% true. There are a thousand different ways that we can verify that. You're not crazy for thinking it. We are losing our grip on things. 
But then here comes the hard part that I'm going to ask you to humbly receive. And even if you can't receive it, don't reject it. Just sit with it, okay? Scripture is very clear that we are not entitled to having a grip on things. Okay? Scripture is crystal clear on this. We are not entitled to having a grip on things. In other words, we've become increasingly antagonistic towards the world because we sense that we're losing our grip on the world. And we think we're entitled to having a grip on the world, but we're not. Okay, Jesus never said that we would be in charge. Jesus didn't say, hey, pick up your cross, follow me, and I'll make sure that you're in charge. Right? That's not what Jesus said. And in case you've ever wondered, and I know you have because I literally got asked about it after first service. This is why you're just never going to hear me and Dave stand up here on a Sunday morning and complain about the world. We're just not going to do it. Nobody's ever going to stand on this stage and just stand up here and complain about the world. We don't do it because we're trying to help you, our church family, understand that we are not entitled to having a grip on the world. We are not entitled to being in charge. And so we're not going to stand up here and talk about the specs in the world's eye when we have this huge us versus them log in our eye. In fact, if anything, the consistent message of the New Testament is the exact opposite of all that, which is that we are not going to be in charge. We are not going to be. Jesus could not have been clear about this. We are not going to be in charge. And us following Jesus, our allegiance to Jesus is going to mean us sacrificing our rights, not complaining about our rights. And there is so much we could learn from the early church here. Oh, my goodness. Because the early church, they experienced severe and real persecution. Right? I'm talking being burned alive, flayed. That kind of persecution. And they most certainly were not in charge. But they just really didn't seem to worry about it very much. Like, you know what I mean? Like, do you remember that book in the New Testament where Paul, I can't remember the name of the book, but where Paul is, he's really, really angry because the Christians aren't in charge and he feels like they're supposed to be. Do you remember that book? Of course you don't remember that book because it's not in there, right? Because the early Christians took it for granted that faithfulness to Christ would involve pain and suffering and the violation of their rights, which is why it just never occurred to them to complain about not being in charge. Of course they're not going to be in charge. Jesus said as much. All right, so let's bring this thing full circle here. Whether it is some huge meta issue, like losing our grip on a country, like that's a big issue, big meta issue, or whether it's the more personal issues that fill our days with these wounds and hurts that we incur as humans and Christians in a fallen world. What Scripture says is not easy, okay? I know it's not easy, but it is very, very clear. When we are provoked, and we will be on a daily basis, when we are provoked, okay, we don't fight the way the world fights, and we don't fly. We don't just lay down. We don't do that. But rather, we stand our ground. And empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, we retaliate, but we retaliate with the full force of God's indestructible kindness. When people act against us, we retaliate for them. We don't give back evil for evil, insult for insult, but we give a blessing instead. Why? Because that's what Jesus Christ did for you. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for today. 
Thank you for the gift of it. We, we confess that we don't deserve this. We don't deserve to exist. We don't deserve to be forgiven. We don't deserve to be able to gather together and worship. We are grateful creatures who exist because of your generosity. And so we stand before you, and first off, we, just, we accept your acceptance of us. We accept that the truest thing about us is that we are loved, forgiven, and accepted in Jesus Christ. And so grounded in that, confident in that, we are able to boldly confess the ways in which we have been entitled. You know, the ways in which we thought we were supposed to be in charge and things were always supposed to go our way. More dangerously, the ways in which we have in our hearts become hostile toward the world that you love. And I know the world is hard because it's filled with people like me. I get it. And yet you have spoken very definitively on this issue. When people provoke us and act against us, we nevertheless respond for them. We retaliate with a blessing, just like our master, our king, Jesus, did. And so I pray in these these moments that you would have some space, Holy Spirit of God, to work on our hearts. Root out the antagonisms, God. Expose the sinful justifications for them so that we can receive the new thing you want to do in our hearts this morning. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.